Man, it's good to have Zach Abraham with us, Chief Investment Officer of Bulwark Capital Management. He can probably help us figure this all out. Anyway, thank you, guys. Should Americans be worried about inflation, sir? Well, I, I really doubt that we're going to see an inflationary cycle. And by the way, talk of inflation, the overwhelming consensus is going to pop up a little bit and then go back down. I don't know anybody, including Larry Summers, who's a friend of mine, <laughs> who's worried about inflation. We also know that as our economy has come roaring back, we've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Inflation, you said? Yeah. Okay. Well, I would first say that uh, one of the steps that we've taken as an administration is to provide uh, a range of assistance uh, to the American people, whether it is in the form of $1,400 checks. Caitlin, if you actually look at the uh, numbers and the trends over the last several months, it shows that core inflation uh, one was not only below uh, expectations, but it decelerated from last month. You had told uh, us at a town hall, I think it was in July, that the this was just near-term inflation. Number one thing that the president can do is help get COVID under control. Uh, that, you know, is the root cause of inflation and the price increases we're seeing for a range of reasons. And finally, even as we meet, even as we meet to work uh, out this challenge, it's important to maintain perspective. Prices have gone up. <laughs> and families and individuals are dealing with the realities of, of the, that bread costs more, that gas costs more. Now, we have to understand what that means. That's about the cost of living going up. When people go to the grocery store and a pound of meat is more expensive than it should be, we agree. That's less related to supply chain issues. The inflation has everything to do with the supply chain. Inflation is up. It's up. The second big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Thank you, Bonefrog Coffee, for allowing me to enjoy coffee. Always enjoyed the uh, the lift it gave me since I became an addict. But uh, it's actually like the taste of it as well as extraordinary. Make sure you use the .us when you go subscribe for your Bonefrog service, bonefrog.us. Even if you're just trying a bag or a cake cup. Bonefrog.us. Zach Abraham's with us. A lot of fun, brother. Gave me a lot of joy watching you uh, listen to the best and the brightest uh, explain this whole transitory. And <laughs> what was your favorite part of that little montage? Well, for, first of all, <clears throat> who put that together? Did you do that? Now, you know what? I was sitting here thinking I need to give um, credit for that. And it just it slipped my mind. I think it was the the people at um, the Federalist who put it together. I'll go back through my archives a second, figure it out. But it's so good, isn't it? And I feel bad for, for having forgotten who did that because it wasn't me. <laughs> I mean, that, was just, that was golden. Yeah. I mean, talk about 
I mean, that is the unwatered down. I mean, that's, that's the straight juice. If you want all the ridiculousness just packed together in a nice, neat little package. Yes. Um, I, I'm still trying to absorb it, honestly. That, that was a lot, of, lot coming at you at once. Yeah. Well, and it's a great, uh, you know, it's a film because you've got a beginning, middle, and an end. You got the beginning where oh, there's no such thing as inflation. My dead son, Bo, was a mathematician. He said it was a specter of the imagination. Uh, sorry. He was, uh, no, he was a crack. No, he's an attorney. Um, and then you get to the, yeah, it exists, but it's transitory. And, and then right at the end, it's like they reveal the villain. A big part of this uh, you know, second reason for inflation is uh, Vladimir uh, Trump. Uh, Gates. Uh, no, uh, Putin. It's, 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 yeah. it's a movie, man. It's a movie. Um, yeah. Well, and I mean, you and I have talked about this before. I, it's hard to say the most ridiculous. It's all ridiculous. I mean, you know, kind of reminds me of ignorance is bliss. You know, like what, what makes it so hard for me to listen to, and I'm not a PhD in economics, but obviously this is what I do for a living. Yeah. When you know the way these things actually work and you understand the, the way that you, you just listen to these people and you go, uh, what, what, pardon, pardon me. Right. What, what, what did you just say? Right. Right. Just cause it's so it's it. Well, I mean, it's kind of like the economic version of, of you know, uh, gender theory or right. Or, or yeah. whatever. It's the, the reality is fluid. It's what you ever want, whatever, whatever you want it to be on any given day. Yeah. It's it, why I've referred to this as, as an Alice in Wonderland market. Remember that quote where in Alice in Wonderland, she says, you, I, I can believe as many as six impossible things before breakfast. <laughs> yes. You know, it, it's, it's the way it is, man. Yeah. Um, that's a great phrase for it. And I wanted to ask you, I, that's, I want, you were talking earlier about the pure irrationality of this past week of the market. And I want to get into that, but let's start with what do you, Zach, think is the purest economic model? Like if you're to take a business model, what would you think is the purest free market model that you could think of? So are we talking about like, <clears throat> The way that we run a company or yeah, the like way that we manage model, it. Like, like, you know, like the least pure economic model is probably you are a, you're a law firm that specializes in reading through government grant applications and fine tuning right. it um, on behalf of minority owned company owners or people who help minority owned company owners um, get these grants, though you're not the owner, you take a rake. Um, that's probably the least pure model or maybe another, you know, unpure model is you advise the federal reserve <laughs> on interest rates or something. Um, what do you think is the most pure model? Like non, non crazy mousetrap model. Yeah. Um, I just thought that just, just, off the top of my head right now, I, you'd have to point to commodity markets um, just because governments can influence them at, at the, you know, uh, on the fringes, yeah. you know, they, they can, they can influence a little bit here and there in terms of demand and, and supply and things like that. But it, it's the most pure economic model to me because um, the, unlike so many other business models, like if you, if you think about Apple, right, or even Google or any of the big tech companies, th there's an amount of price elasticity that they have in terms of 
you know, Apple probably knows these numbers inside now. They could jack the cost of this good that much without, you know, or, or the AirPods or whatever it is. They can move the price this much and not see a drop off in demand. Um, and so the individual company, right, the company that's making the electronic goods, they have an influence over what the cost of that good is, right? Where when you look over, contrary to what the administration would have you believe, when you look over into commodity markets, outside of like OPEC, which really only deals with oil, every other company that is producing, now you've got some anomalies like the Hunt Brothers in 80 with, with them cornering the market on silver, but but that really couldn't be done today. The market is bigger and... It, but commodity, that's why all this price gouging talk is so hilarious because a, a, a company that sells a commodity, they are a price taker, right? They take their goods. It's kind of like, think of like a flea market, right? And I know you know this, but um, it's like a flea market. You go to a flea market, you don't go there and set prices, right? You take whatever price somebody's willing to pay for your goods. And that's the way it works with Chevron. That's the way it works with BP. That's the way it works with Royal Dutch Shell. Um, and so off the top of my head, I'd have to say commodity markets because the biggest participants in those markets have little to no control over the cost, unlike really any other business out there, you know? So yeah, I'd, I'd say that I'd say garage sales. There you go. Okay. The flea market analogy. Yeah. So here's why I, I was thinking of that. Honestly, before you said garage sales, before you said flea markets, it's this people have done an analysis of assets. And they've looked and said, you know what? We actually don't need these assets anymore. And I am better off selling these assets than keeping them. And then they put a prospective price on them and they put them out. And then they simply announced that, that there's going to be a sale of stuff. And people have a general idea of what's going to be in a garage sale. And then, then yep. if you have an area where you can do it, like down the, uh, down the mountain from us, there's a place that does garage sales for um, people who live up here. And you can drive by and say, oh, wow, okay, so my neighbor's selling that. Look at that. Then it's negotiable. I mean, you know, that's a garage sale. You walk up and it's, it's so, hey, here's a, um, here's a squat rack. I'm looking at buying and retail it's three grand and they want a grand. Then I walk up and say it's scratched and you guys, you know, it's a little bent. So I'll give you 750 bucks. And they make the determination. Yeah, it's worth it for me to get it out of my hair. So to me, that's a very, very pure model. And it has to do Agreed. with the asset. And now all of that's voluntary. Like there's no force. There's very little licensing. I mean, you may or may not pay tax on that, depending on how you record it or where you live or who cares. So what's not involved in there is regulators. What's not involved in there is middlemen. What's not in there is pump, pump and dump. What's not in there is there's no aspect of force, right? Mm -hmm. And so then I compare the outcome of a garage sale. What do you get? I mean, you're going to have some stuff left over. Some people didn't want stuff. So you take it to a thrift store or, you know, if you have to, you take it to the landfill. What do the other people get? Well, they get a good that they're happy with. They bought, right? It's not the very best good, but they got a really good deal on it. And I compare that to everything like Apple. So you could look at that. My, my family's at the Apple store right now as I'm recording this uh, because my daughter's phone broke and she decided as a, almost 18 year old person to never mention the fact that it wasn't backing up. And so she's going to go see if she can rest her, rescue her pictures. You can say that's a pure model. She's going to take the money she earned down there, Pappy buy a new phone, but it's not a pure model because now they're going to have new ways to track her. 
There's going to be, um, you know, government hooks into that phone. They're constantly going to be upselling her. Hey, use Apple music, use Apple music, get more storage, get more storage. And none of that is pure. It's more pure well, it, than, than, than the stock market, but yeah. Well, no, and like, and like you said, where, what store is she at? She's at the Apple store, not the Samsung store. Right. Why? Because she's got to recover her pictures. Right. Right. So they get hooks into you where commodity producers don't. Right. Yeah. If you're if if you're trying to sell for this price, another guy over here is going to sell for less. It's a commodity. There is no nothing that locks you into it. Where if you look at big tech and I mean, to, to their credit, I think they've been somewhat transparent about this. But the business model is locking you up. Right. Taking away the con. You know, and they're not taking away choice, but you know what I mean? In a, in a business sense, in a commerce sense, you know, getting hooks into you that otherwise wouldn't exist, right? Yeah. Like That's if, if it wasn't for the services and the videos and the, and the pictures and all that kind of stuff, and it was a normal market, we'd probably be changing phone manufacturers every two years when the contract runs up, right? right? But we don't because they've got their hooks into us. Right. So it's pain of exit. Um, because yeah, we used to right. talk about back when I was doing VC funded deals, we used to say, they used to say, what's your barrier to entry? Um, and it used to be that a patent portfolio could be a barrier to entry or first, you know, first mover advantage to lock up marketplace, exclusive contracts could be barriers to entry. And I used to talk about pain of exit. Like the, the pain of exit for companies like this is, well, that's all, where all my, all my pictures are there. All my music right. is there. And they did this, you know, they do this constantly with devices. Oh, well, that music won't work or that platform but I want to expand this because this is the most interesting thing to me about the economics in which we live is, you know, I love that paper that is the uh, virtuals versus the physicals. So I think I sent this to you. This is this guy wrote this incredibly thoughtful paper about how there's the virtual class Apple, you know, Zach, you live in the virtual class. Now I know you to be a blue collar type man, and you put your nose to the grindstone, you teach your kids the value of work, but it happens to be that you think and act for a living. Frankly, look mm -hmm. what I'm doing. I do a podcast, all right? Mm -hmm. um, okay, so I've got calluses in my hands from weightlifting. I go cut down trees on my property when I'm, my shoulder's healthy. I like to stay connected to the actual work, but we're virtuals. But the big time yeah. virtuals are the coders and they're making the crossover into the physical world. So the mRNA getting in and, and reverse transcribing itself, at least in, in one outcome of an experiment, it does that. That's in us. They've now crossed over in us. The virtuals are in us. Gates wants to distribute the injections or the vaccines through mosquitoes against our will. That's getting in us. Now I'm looking at the food production and you're talking about commodities. They want to get in us. Right. And they want to build rights, not just just pain of exit, but they want to build this exclusivity. They want to make the model less pure. And it's leading to some things. And this is a woman talking about um, she's talking about the coming change to food prices. And then I want to get into because this is this is part of this irrationality. I want to make sure we get into this discussion you and I had about the irrational acts of the model or of the market this last week. This woman is giving out a warning. And people being concerned about the gas prices, but what you really need to be concerned about is what your food pricing is about to jump to. Okay. Calves and babies are just now being born. Keep that in mind. So the cost to raise them hasn't hit yet. This bale of hay last year was four bucks. Bag of grain last year was six bucks. This trunk full in here last year would have cost me $14.
today. $20 for a bale of hay, $18 for a bag of grain. I got two bales in here. It's $58 worth of food. Last just my chick, just my goats and my horses two days. That's it. Wait until the, the prices catch up with your slaughter market when we start rendering animals in the fall. Prepare for $17 a pound chicken, $25 a pound bacon, $30, $40 a pound beef. It is coming. It's not a joke. Please be cautious. Please prepare. So does that sound out of this world to you or does that sound like she knows what she's talking about with prices? I, I Not just what she's talking about. I don't know the individual numbers, but a, a price escalation of that, if that doesn't occur, that will be very perplexing to me. Just It's just the input cost. I mean, you just go look at the input cost. That's all you've got to do. Um, it's like the guy you, you and I know uh, who's a farmer. Um, I've actually, he, we, we connected through your podcast. Um, he sent you some notes and then he and I have DM'd back and forth on Twitter a couple of times. Um, like he's saying, you know, we, we, this is a record revenue for a year for us, but we're going to be really tough just to break even because the costs went up, the input costs go up. And for people that don't think, you know, and I, I don't want to skip ahead too much, but that's what's, and it's not confounding in a way. I mean, markets don't move in single directions, but when you look at this market today, and I mean, you can extrapolate out the entire society. I, I, I hear very few sober voices who are talking about this situation in terms of what it really is. Um, the other side of it is when you look at the constrictions, there, there are certain parts, you know, I, I think we need to split inflation into kind of two different categories. And, and I, I, I think a lot of the people that are talking, you know, especially from the current administration, I think that they understand this, that they're, they're, they're purposefully misleading and, because there is a certain level of quote unquote inflation that is going to go away just with time, right? As, as supply chains come untangled, there's going to be certain things that don't. But when you look at the actions that they've taken and continue to take against commodities and then the feedback loop that causes and all of these things, that, that pressure isn't going away anytime soon. And as a matter of fact, they're already heralding the price of oil dropping. Okay. The price of oil dropping is not a good, it's not good news for people that want inflation to go away. And they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Price is going down. That means less inflation. No, it, it actually doesn't. It means more future inflation because as the price of oil drops, which it probably will due to, due to the pending recession, right? That means less exploration. That means less investment into oil, which is just backlogging the problem even further, right? And everybody goes, well, that's good for the environment. And I go, you're forgetting about the input costs. You're forgetting about how essential natural gases for the, for the creation of fertilizer. You're forgetting all of these different things it goes into and you know, it just trickles down. And, yep. it, and when you, when you listen to the prices she's stating, Todd, I'll be shocked if they don't get there because that's just what the data is pointing to. Yeah. I mean, it just, that's the math. So, you know, there's this major selling point that Monsanto has on their Franken food, their Franken seed. Yeah. You know what it is? Well, they've got a couple, but yeah, I, which one are you referring to? The biggest one that I've heard is it requires a lot less and sometimes no fertilizer, no pesticides. Right. Because we have, right. we have coated it. 
we've coded it to resist press, uh, the pests. We've put code in it. We've changed the gene structure. We've made it so we've made it so insects don't want to eat it, but it's perfectly good for you. Right. Insects won't touch it. <laughs> um, and it doesn't need as much fertilizer. And with the frankenfish, well, they don't have to worry about reproducing. That's energy their body doesn't need to use. They have organs. They don't have reproductive organs they need to feed. Their bodies can only, con- only need concentrate on eating. And, oh, look at this. They're bigger than other fish. And then you get to the result of, well, wait, who can afford um, that lady's talking about a hundred to 200% increase in costs. Who can afford that? Oh, that's right. People who can bank that all up. And how, how do you then have a new business model? Well, when your food is, is all mishmashed up into processed fake meat and packaged and frozen and sent, right? You just skipped a big layer, which is the animal's. It's all fakery. That's gone. You, you don't have to support the animals. You don't have to feed the animals. You don't have to care for them. You don't have to husband them. You don't have to raise them or take care of their illnesses. Right? It is what tech does. Let's look at leakage in the model. Let's look at friction in the model. And tech looks at human beings as friction. Well, why would tech not look at animals at friction? We don't need animals. Let's just have people eat carbohydrates and fat and pretend it has protein in it. That's what I'm talking like about. Like Soylent Green? Oh, you think you're joking? Have you seen the New York no, Times? No, I'm not. Okay, but you've seen the New York Times editorial about this, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's okay to eat humans. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, I, a, it's, I, a, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's, it's so, it, it, we were talking about this just an hour ago in the office. It was about the gender fluidity yeah. theory, whatever the, whatever the world they call it. And I mean, we've all covered that enough. There's no right. need to get off on that track. But, um, we, you know, where you're just sitting there going, this truly is the death of objectivity, meaning we, we're, we've slid into this subjective world, right? Um, and yet we will excoriate people and we will eliminate people if we can, if at all possible, if they don't agree to our subjectivity. It's just, it, it's such an odd place to be. And there are so few comps in human history to today, you know, like uh, since when did disagreeing with a subjective take become a criminal activity? It's, it's just so strange. Well, yeah. And then there's this, this thing, like, I think I've described this to friends before. Um, And there's, I promise you, there's a point to this. If you Zach were walking along the street and you saw a pizza laying on the ground, let's say it was fresh baked, You'd never seen a pizza before in your life. And it's just laying there on the sidewalk. Would your first instinct be, I'm going to eat that? <laughs> no, no. Probably not. Yeah, what no. the heck is that? What is that? Yeah. When you look at a cricket, like, do you look at that and go, I want to eat that. Now, I know there's people who eat bugs. I've eaten bugs. Okay. I've been in the survival camp. Where I've eaten bugs. I happen to know there are populations of people who eat bugs. We're being told now, not just that it's, well, and it's worse to eat human beings. You, you never eat human beings. I don't even believe I have to say that, but you do. Now they're being pushed, they're pushing us to eat insects. Nicole Kidman, other Hollywood actors are doing these ads where they're eating these um, insects. Do you know that parasites were detected in 81.3% 
of examined insects farms. This was, um, this is from the National Institute of Health, by the way. Um, they identified parasites were uh, pathogenic for insects. In 106, that's 35.3% of cases, parasites were potentially parasitic for animals. 30% of cases they for humans. They were uh, potentially pathogenic for humans. And have you heard anything about this? Any downside to eating insects? So you're going back to your point about the subjectivity. We're just being told, hey, eating bugs is good and eating humans is, is coming along the way. So now see what we've gone from a garage sale to, hey, eat bugs. And if you find something on the street that's red and gooey and, and round, stop and lick it. <laughs> that's where we've gone. Uh, we'll talk about the irrationality of the markets and then how, how do you maintain rationality? This is my question to Zach as a fund manager, as chief investment officer, Bullock Capital Management. How do you maintain rationality in an irrational setting? I think that's useful advice for life. Oh, uh, tomorrow night I'm having dinner with my loved one, my family member who's been on the soda weight loss journey. And I think I told you after I saw her last week um, that she was glowing. And I sat down, we had breakfast. I sat down and I said, wow, you look great. You're glowing. I'm, I'm, I, it makes me feel good to see you happy. And I said, what's going on? She said, well, probably because I'm losing weight. And I said, really, is that it? And she said, yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of it. I feel I'm, I'm getting on this journey. I feel good about this. And what did that birth in her? Well, next thing I know, um, it's, she's in a hiking group for women. And this has been something that she had not wanted to do because she felt like the, 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 the unwanted fat on her body was going to embarrass her. And you would never know that this is a person who could feel embarrassment that way. That, that was a surprise for me because she's such a powerful woman and, and so successful. But, you know, we're all human. We can all get these hurts. So I'm really anxious to see how it is now that I'm going to predict it's probably 15 pounds or so of unwanted body fat that she's taken off on the soda weight loss plan. And the changes that come with that, I'd said to her before, hey, I would be so thrilled and honored to take you through a CrossFit 101 class because that's all I'm qualified to teach. I mean, I'm L1, online L1 CrossFit coach, what that's worth, meaning I can show you how to move. And it had been before, I don't know, I don't know. And then she brought it up. So what's that CrossFit 101 class like? I said, you know what? Here's what we do. She goes, okay, I do want to do that. I want to do that. Just give me a week or so to take off a little more weight. I want to do it. I just don't want to walk into a gym looking like this. Well, that made me feel partly good, partly sad that people feel that way about themselves. But you see the difference here? She turned this corner. I want to ask you a question. If you um, have too much body fat and you know this, and you know it, and it hurts you or it limits you, why have you not checked out soda weight loss? Honest question. What possibly is there to lose by going to sodaweightloss.com and chatting with them. You ask them the questions that make you comfortable because you and I are not face to face right now. I would look at their Google reviews, go do that. I would read the editorials and, and testimonials of people who've lost 20 to 150 pounds. And I would ask them on the phone, how are you going to calibrate this for me? I would just flat out say, how are you going to calibrate this for who I am as a human being? It's sodaweightloss.com. And I wouldn't suggest you ask that question if I didn't know how good they are at calibrating for people. It's sodaweightloss.com. 
So Zach Abraham's with us, Bulwark Capital Management, KnowYourRiskRadio.com. We were just talking, um, just heating up for the show, getting from you what you thought the big stories were. And it seems to me that you feel like the big story is a series of what, what in a rational world, because we've talked about rational and now irrational models, what in a rational world would be a lot of people shaking their heads going, wait a minute, none of this makes sense. These things are not supposed to move this way together. Um, it's, it's almost like watching part of your car move forward and part of it move back. Hey, honey, did we split the car in the middle? Because the left right's going forward or the left side's going forward, the right side's going back. It's sort of like that, right? Um, yeah. So, so run us through this dynamic we were talking about. So <clears throat> I've gotten this question a lot. So the Fed, uh, let's see, from July, it's been about six weeks, two weeks from the last Fed hikes, but it was over a 30-day period of time. The Fed hiked rates 100 and 150 basis points. And when you add that with the previous hikes, you're looking at the most aggressive, as a percentage, uh, some of the biggest hikes in history, um, especially the proximity to each other. I mean, it, it really is the only thing that you could even draw a slight comp to would be the 80s in terms of the aggressiveness of the hikes. Now, when, when you're looking at when you're looking at financial analysis and how to how to value securities, now let me just say as a disclaimer, there's there's different ways to do it. There's different things you need to look at. But bottom line is this: the the higher interest rates go, the higher the cost of capital becomes, right? So, uh, and then the other side of it too is people forget this that all assets and wealth in particular, I mean, if we're looking at wealth, wealth is subjective, right? Meaning it, it, it's, if you are the richest guy in a country and you're worth a thousand dollars, then a thousand dollars is wealthy, right? Just, just, just through purchasing power. So when we say a good investment, I always remind my clients, they go, I know Zach compared to what, right? That's, but it's, it, yeah. that's the way all assets work. And so the higher interest rates go, the more you are being paid to lend money, which by definition, now lending money is less risky than owning a part of a company, right? It, it just is because typically when we, when we lend money, we're lending against an asset, right? It's, so we're backed by something. We have security, yeah. okay? When we're an equity owner, we don't have any security. We're taking the risk right along with all the other owners. Business does well, we make money. Business does bad, we lose money. A lot of times as a debt holder, when a business does bad, that's the best result for us. Because even through a bankruptcy, if we bought the debt correctly, you know, let's say we, let's say we loaned a company $200 million against $350 million worth of assets. They go bankrupt. We've got that. Now we get the $350 million of assets. Plus we get all the interest payments that we collected from them and we get to spin it off. But bottom line is as interest rates go higher, lending money is more attractive and owning assets is less attractive. And so valuations on assets pretty much across the board go down. So when you see the NASDAQ in particular popping 17% in the immediate aftermath, the, the, you know, 20, 30 days after some of the most aggressive rate cuts, rate hikes in history, that, that, to say that that's counterintuitive is to put it lightly, right? That, that's, it defies, that defies the way that we value securities and the way we look at things. Now, Here's the, here's the confusing part of it. Uh, markets don't move in straight lines. And I, I don't know if you and I had talked about this, but we believe that we are entering a period of time of economic difficulties, to say the least. Um, 
And when you turn around and you look at asset markets, the, as of today, the S&P 500 is trading at 24 times earnings. Okay, so for people that don't understand, that is about a 50%, it's actually about 50% right on the nose. That is a 50% greater rate than the long-term average. Okay, so if you look at asset prices, they tell you everything is, it's, you ever see that movie, the Lego movie, everything is awesome? No. And everything is awesome. There's a song. Yeah, your, kid, your daughter was probably too old. You probably passed that yeah. one up. Lucky for you. Um, <laughs> so, but there's a song in there. Everything is awesome. You know, just, and um, that's what, that's what asset markets are telling you. Meanwhile, when we look at, um, you know, when you, well, let's start with oil. We've talked about energy a lot, right? You look at people and go, Hey, what, you notice oil prices are dropping. They're like, yeah, well, that's because there's less demand. And you go, so you're buying tech stocks. They're like, yeah, we're looking at economic recovery. And you look at them and go, uh, hold on, hold on, run that by me again. Less oil demand, but an economic recovery. Explain to me how that's possible, right? So, but the other dynamic that you have to look at is so markets. I want to make sure again, I'm understanding like I, said, this. I want to make sure I'm understanding this. Um, we're going hunting and I say, oh, this is really good news. And you say, what? I say, I'm seeing a, a lot fewer uh, deer tracks. Right. Well, what's yeah, that mean? And, and you're like, that's, that's got to that's got to bode well. It just means that it means that all the deer, it means Todd, that all the deer are hiding in this little pocket of bushes. And we, when we stumble upon them, right. it's, I mean, it's, it, it, it's going to be, it's going to be one, it's going to be one for the ages. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, that's the rationale. Uh, less demand for oil is good. We're looking at an economic recovery because people are doing far fewer things like traveling or shipping or heating. Uh, got it. Okay. Makes right, sense. Like the right. deer are gone, but that's great. That's good. Right. Okay. Right. So, and we won't even get into oil markets because, you know, I've been telling people all along, like, you know, I've had some oil bulls that got mad at me, but I was like, look, if, if we go into the kind of recession, it looks like we're probably headed into, I think you could see oil plumb depths that I don't think most people are thinking about in terms of, you know, I don't think you're going to see 40, but I think you could see 65 on the extreme low side, 70. Now oil is a different animal altogether because if that happens, the future problem with oil, the shortages of oil is only going to get exacerbated. It's going to be worse because if oil was to fall to 70, there will be zero exploration. There will be zero new production. Um, it, 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 so whatever respite we get as an economy from that will be very short-lived and transitory at best. That will actually be transitory, low oil prices. Because you just flat out, you need higher oil prices to incentivize investment. Yeah. But we, we, so... What I, what we think is happening with markets, and I think it's got a lot of people scratching their head and it does us too. E even if you're prepared for something like this, it's always mind boggling to watch it. But I think what you have here is the classic case of a bear market rally. And it, a mean? lot of it has a bear market rally. What's that mean? If, if we go back and look at every significant bear market in the last hundred years, you have multiple false dawns and everybody always forgets about this. In, in the crash of 29, you had multiple rallies of 25 to 30% before. So, so you take the first leg down, let's say a market drops 30%, right? And then let's say that market retraces half of that drop, right? It's the way the math plays out. You drop 30, you bounce 15, right? That's like a 30% pop off the bottom. Right. Because, because think of it. So we got, let's say the market's at a hundred 
it drops to 70. Okay. And then it pops to 85. Everybody's like, Oh, we're up 30%. You're like, well, yeah, but we're still 15% off the high. Right. Right. And, and so it, it, it's, it has this kind of stare. It, it looks like a roller coaster going down, right? It never goes down in straight lines in, in the, in the tech crash. Uh, you, I think you had something like 13 to 15 rallies of 15 to 25% before you reach the ultimate bottom. And there are these rallies, they're called relief rallies. They're typically caused by guys like me who are short and we make a bunch of money like we made this year off shorting the NASDAQ. And then the NASDAQ gets down to certain levels. We take our profits and back away, right? Well, how do you close out a short position? You do it by going long. And usually when you do that and the market's down 30%, there are no, you know, the, the, the volumes drop. Uh, uh, you run out of, you get what we call selling exhaustion. And what happens is there's, there's, there's some buy orders start coming in from short sellers like me and that starts rallying the market. And then the retail guys go, Oh, it's going up again. We got to buy the dip. And then they all pile in and then you run into the next round of earnings and they're getting progressively worse. And then you get another sell off. And, and financial crisis was the same way. I think in the financial crisis, you had, I want to say it was like 18 to 20 rallies of 15% or greater before we reached the ultimate bottom. And these are the most dangerous inflection, if we're right. Now, there's no guarantee that we're right. I will tell you this, that looking at all the data and really scrubbing through the, it, I mean, if you believe that this market is bottomed and good times are here again, you're believing that market dynamics that currently existed, you're betting on a, a series of events and, and things that have never occurred before. Meaning market bottoms are not made when the market is trading at 24 times earnings yeah. with rising interest rates and falling earnings, right? Market bottoms are not made when real estate is at the most expensive ownership cost of ownership in history. These are not conditions that show, show market bottoms. But what you're seeing, the irony is the stocks you're seeing, we saw stocks uh, uh, go in and have, in the last week, have atrocious earnings reports. Let's use Walmart as an example. Walmart comes out and reports. And, and we've, been, we've been on the radio saying, guys, watch the retailers. Walmart, Costco, Target, they're about to get slaughtered. They've got massive backlogs of in inventories. It's a mess. They're having to mark down stuff to get it sold. It, it, it's, 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 it's not good. And they're paying higher labor costs, right? Higher input costs, costs of capitals going up. Literally, you're squeezing these guys in every end possible. Walmart comes out and reports a 25% drop in net income year over year. Okay. Walmart. They, they, Walmart. Okay. Kind of a big one, right? If they can absorb rising costs, you know, if anybody can absorb it, it's got to, Walmart's got to be right up there, right? They get a 25% hit to in net income in a year, year over year basis. And the stock drops 10% right out of the gates, which makes sense. Okay. In the last week and a half, the stock has rallied back almost to where it was prior to that earnings report. And what that means now on top of that management came out in that earnings report and said, this is not a one-off event. They cut guidance going forward and they said, listen, we've got hard times ahead. Okay. The stock has rebounded. It's still about $3 shy of where it was going into earnings. But when you do the math, it's now trading at a 28 and a half price to earnings ratio. It was at 27.8 before it reported. So 
they have a 25% drop in net income. And now the market's saying it's worth more. Oh, this is okay. I, that's the sort of a rationality I was talking about. And you can, you can get more of Zach at knowyourriskradio.com, by the way. It's a radio show there, knowyourriskradio.com. Um, you can also get in touch with him there. So tell people about Shopify though, because this is to me the ultimate irrationality because Walmart's not going anywhere. And if Walmart, if Walmart was really up against it, let's say that they just continued to, to be hit and, and experience this, these losses quarterly and then it's yearly, their board could get together and go, we need to sell some real estate. So, yeah. I mean, they could say, hey, you know what, let's unload some places in, let's, let's unload in Northern California. Um, I, I see some places here in Texas, you know, we're duplicated in Texas. Let's unload some stores. Let's unload the real estate, sell that and, and we'll be okay. Right. So, so they could do that. Um, and if worse came to worse, which isn't going to happen, I, well, who knows, but I mean, if Walmart to go bankrupt, okay, now you're talking about real estate assets and trucks and buildings and all right. So, but Shopify, Shopify has some code and they've got some computers that they, you know, have, have written off 10 different times in balance sheets. They've got some chairs and they're Herman Miller. So they're nice. I mean, those are some nice yeah. chairs, really nice, Zach. Um, yeah. And then the refrigerators for the free Cokes and stuff. Yeah. But tell people about Shopify and the rash irrationality of what just went on with them. Yeah, so Shopify is kind of a poster child of this whole this whole market. Yeah, by the Meaning, way, they're an online store. They 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 do the back end of stores. Like, in fact, our T-shirt store, the ToddHermanShow.com store. Um, the people who run our T-shirts run that on Spotify. So, anyway, because that's what they do. Yeah, and and and, and Shopify is a good company. They, they, this is in no way. When, when whenever you hear me talk about this, very seldom am I pointing to something wrong with the company. Yeah. Just showing how irrational the market is. Yeah. So Shopify has been this high flyer that was trading at 40, 50. I think it got as high as 60 times revenue at the beginning of last year. Now to put that in perspective, when you say these things like 60 times revenue, you know, kind of just goes over people's heads, but I really want people to understand how insane that is. Let's say you run a business and you're doing a hundred million dollars in revenue a year. So the total of everything you sold is a hundred million dollars. And you're, you're not making any money on that. You're cash flow negative or you're just break even. Okay. And you go to the owner of that business cause you see some promise. Hey, they're not making any money, but they're growing their revenue by 50% a year. Right. They're growing like crazy. And, uh, you look at that guy and you go, okay, so you did a hundred million in revenue. You're not making any money. How much would you sell the company for? And he looks at you and goes 6 billion. Right. <laughs> who, who would do that? Nobody would do that. Yeah. That's insanity. This only happens in stock markets when people are looking at stock prices as opposed to looking at the underlying businesses. So they've been hit really hard in this tech pullback. Their stock has been crushed. It's down like 75%. Here's the problem. They're still trading at like 12 times revenue with negative cash flow. Okay. And then this recent quarter came out that meteoric rise in, in, in revenue has slowed down to wow, now they're growing revenue at 15%. Okay, so they come out a week and a half ago, report earnings. Earnings are a disaster. Uh, uh, no, nobody would argue that. Stock is at 35, drops to 29. It's something like a 16% drop. Okay, Google comes out and reports good earnings. Shopify stock takes off like a rocket. Now it's at 41. 
20% above where it was the day before reported earnings. And you're just looking at this going, what on earth? Because now you're paying 12 times revenue for a negative cash flowing company that's only growing revenue at 15%. And oh, by the way, their biggest competitor is Amazon, right? Who's going to pick? Yeah, why, so, why would you do that? Right. So this would be like you want to buy your, um, your friend's bait and tackle shop. And so you yeah. come up and you say, okay, so hey, when you're interested in sell the shop. Yeah, looking into selling. Uh, well, how much, uh, how much money do you take home? Well, for the past year, I've been actually digging into my pocket uh, to fund the business. Okay, so no revenues. No, 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 we've got revenues, but our, our costs exceed that by about 20% per month. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. okay. Um, how much do you want for the business? A uh, million dollars. Okay, but how much is revenue growing? It's, it's 15%. Oh, no, it's, it's like 2% it's like, uh, per month. Okay, so then that would take me 10 months to even break even on, on revenues and you want a million bucks? Right. And you come back the next day, go, hey, look, Ted, I want to buy the bait and tackle shop. I'll give you 250 grand. Oh, no, no, it's good. Um, we had uh, uh, the, uh, the, the big sports shop moved in next door, um, uh, Cabela's. They just, they just opened the shop next door. So our, our price now is, we had a guy give us 3 million for the bait and tackle shop. But doesn't Cabela still bait and cap tackle? Yeah, yeah, they do. So we got three million. Yeah. You put this, see, this is the thing. You put it into physical, real world things, and it's insane. It's just like oh. gender ideology. And it's just like this. People say this baby was assigned uh, female at birth, to which I'll say, were they also assigned human? Uh, I don't know, Todd. I'm not a biologist. <laughs> I'm not qualified to answer that question. Right. Right. How do you know this is a baby? It was assigned baby at birth. How do you know this is human? It was just assigned human at birth. It might be an insect. You, this could be, it could be a lizard person. You don't know. And you take it down to the level of physicality and all of a sudden everything makes sense again. So as we wrap this out, I want to ask you this question. Um, God is a God of order. Agreed? Up and 100%. down. Up and down. Night separate from day, land separate from water, right? Yep. The creatures he's made, pretty easy to categorize. There's creatures that walk on the earth. There's creatures that swim in the land. There's creatures that fly. There's creatures that, that have live birth. There's creatures that um, have birth their, their young in eggs. Um, there's creatures that have lungs and creatures that have gills and, and you can, there's creatures that have warm blood and cold blood and, and scales and non-scales. There's some creatures that live in and out of the water. I think I've hit them all. Uh, some creatures chew their cud. Uh, some people have, some creatures have split hooves. So you can pretty easily categorize them, right? Uh, yeah. God, God laid out in the Bible, a series of, of, of humorous suggestions on how to live our life, just light suggestions. Um, they're actually orders. And it fu funny, it, it turns out when people follow the 10 commandments, they live better lives. This happens that way. They don't murder people. They don't walk around opening the blinds at night to look at their neighbor's wife in the garden and obsess over that. So they live better lives. God is a God of order. And the enemy is Lies and chaos can produce nothing, can only twist, can only pervert and distort, right? Do, do we, are we square yep. on that? Yep. All right. How do we, how do you 
maintain rationality? Because Zach, you work in an irrational world. So how do you, you do. You work yeah, irrational. Yeah, no. hey, look, I used to work in radio stations. They can be pretty irrational. Yeah. Right. On a personality yeah. basis, they can be pretty irrational, but you work in an irrational world. So mm-hmm. how do you maintain rationality in that irrational world? Well, I first and foremost, it comes to the daily routine, uh, you know, getting up in the morning and, you know, I'm a big, big, big believer in the old adage of put your boots underneath the, uh, underneath your bed because then you got to get up, uh, hit your knees the first thing out of bed. Yes. So, and that, and, and that is it, my, my wife and I get up every morning and watch, uh, different sermons on YouTube Yep. and usually do that for about, you know, 25 to 40 minutes, uh, drinking coffee. And then when I've woken up, I, I spend time in the word and do a devotional and, do a, as a matter of fact, this weekend I was just with my, my men's Bible study group, a uh, little golf trip that we, we put together. Um, but I think, that's, I think that's first and foremost because one of the things that I fight is not just keeping a rational head, but also not getting um, angry, right? Because I want things to be orderly. Yep. I, I, I really value that digging through it and finding the reality part of it and you can get angry. The other thing that we need to know is that anger blinds you just as anger is not a level head. Um, and so staying even keeled and it really Todd, this has kind of been the birthplace of, again, not trying to make this a plug, but it's kind of been the birthplace for our risk management approach of just saying one of the really easy ways in finance, uh, you know, after that morning routine and, 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 and putting yourself on the right track. Yeah. Um, one of one of the easy ways to keep a level head is by not getting hit, right? Not losing a lot of money, right? If, if, you know, as frustrating as the last week and a half has been, you know, our average client is bumping around even, you know, down to maybe 3% of the year, somewhere around there. And right, I think right around two on average is where we're at. Just, just bumping right around even. It, it, it can be really frustrating, but when you're not chasing, when you're not digging out of a hole, it makes it much easier to keep a level head. Right. And to keep things in the, keep things in, in perspective. And then I think the other part of it, like I said, is, is managing the risk, you know, avoiding the big losses and then sticking to your guns and having that, that there is reality, right? Despite what culture wants to tell us, there is right. There is wrong. There is absurd. There is smart. These things exist. And at the end of the day in investing, what are we doing? We are buying cash flows at a discount. That is the definition of investing. And there may be periods of times where that doesn't exist. There may be periods of times where there is no difference between a man and a woman. There may be periods of times where guns kill people, people don't kill people. But what do we know? That these are transitory in nature because they are twists or perversions, if you will, if you want to use that terminology, that they are not reality. And therefore, reality, like I I tell our guys, I go, Find me the strongest arm. Find me a major league baseball pitcher that can throw it 105 miles an hour. And let's have him throw that baseball as high up in the air as he possibly can. It may take an hour for that ball to come down, but I guarantee you it will. Yeah. Right. And so I think what you see a lot of people now, they're like, well, we haven't seen that ball in 30 minutes. I'm pretty sure that ball grew wings and it's now up orbiting the right. It's, it's like a satellite. Okay. Okay. Anytime you run into that thinking, especially in investing, run the other way because they might be right for a little while, but in the end, they will not be. And just like in culture, and and that's you and I have talked about that, that interchange of economy and culture, they always go hand in hand, right? It, 
Is it any surprise in this environment that we see a market that's completely detached from reality and completely absurd? It shouldn't be. That's the way the whole culture is. Yeah. So, but I, I think to answer your question in a concise manner, I think first and foremost, leveling up to God, the source of wisdom, the source of knowledge, right? Staying tight there and, you know, keeping your eyes on the prize and not being distracted. You know, the Bible's so full of different stories like that. Don't look back. We're leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. What is my one, my one command? Just don't look back, right? Keep your eyes ahead. And, and, you know, I, I, that's, yeah, that's Lot's, what we Lot's, do. Lot's wife was like, yeah, but got a better idea. God. I'm going to look yeah, at that turned out kind of salty. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if you read <laughs> biblical history, there was a time when Egypt was the most feared ruler of all lands, the Egyptians, man, they ruled everything. And then they didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the Babylonians, right? Mm-hmm. And the Babylonians, as far as the eye could see, as far as the, the winds could travel, as far as the birds could fly and the sun should, could shine, they ruled. And they turned their back. I mean, they, they hated God. Um, then there came this time where it was not going to be a nation ruler. It was going to be the, the ruler of the, the kingdom of heaven. And he did everything the opposite. Everything, he didn't go meet with power brokers. He met with the, uh, the least of these. Um, he died on a cross, right? Uh, or at least he allowed himself to die on a cross. He did everything in the reverse of what you would expect it. And we ended up with the world changing because of, of Jesus. And one of the things, Zach, that I would suggest that, that people think about here is what will happen when all these masters of the universe, Klaus Schwab, etc., stand in front of God, I want him to give them a test. I want him to say, hey, you say you made a bunch of things? I challenge you, make sand. (laughs) Think about this, that the Lord said to Klaus Schwab and all his coders, all the people, all the brilliant mRNA creators, hey, make the simplest thing. You say you made all these things? Make a rock, just a rock. And if you do that, if you can just right now make a rock, a thing very simple, I will let you off with all that you've done to people, with all that you've done to my world, just construct a rock, just do it. Only God can build in that way. So for me, it's always going back to what is most rational is what did God make? That stuff is still there. The Lord will not be mocked. Brother, I appreciate you coming on the program. This is the Talk Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and be thankful to God Almighty.